This is week number four, Kingdom Stories. In the first week, Pastor Brandt began with Kingdom Invitation. Uh, Jesus said, go out and invite the good. Go out and invite the bad people. Invite everybody into my kingdom. I want everybody to be a part of my kingdom and invited to my amazing banquet. Go now, invite everybody so they can come and be a part of my kingdom party. That's week number one. Second week, we examined kingdom message. We learned that when we refuse the king's message, when we choose not to dance to the king's tune, we're behaving like spoiled religious brats. Okay? When we won't do it God's way, when we don't want to sing the tune of King Jesus, we're behaving like spoiled religious brats. Last week, we looked at kingdom response. We learned last week the human heart is like dirt. And the condition of a man or a woman or a child's heart determines their response to Jesus and his gospel and his kingdom. It's all about the condition of your heart, how you're going to respond to King Jesus and the cross and the shed blood and the empty tomb. Today, we're going to look at kingdom forgiveness. And we'll see today that the more we know and understand and experience the forgiveness of King Jesus, the more our love and devotion for Jesus will grow. In other words, the more we know and believe and accept and experience the forgiveness of King Jesus, it deepens and strengthens our love for our Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. Locate with me on your Bible app. Locate with me online and tap on the Bible icon. We're in the Gospel of Luke chapter 7 today. Jesus shares a really short parable with a Pharisee named Simon. And it's a parable that makes a really powerful point. So if you're able, would you stand with me? We're just going to read the parable part, and then we'll add on what goes on all around it. Uh, Luke chapter 7. Here we go. Read with me. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for inspiring Dr. Luke to get down on parchment exactly what you had in mind for us and folks all down through church history. Lord, thank you for this little parable. Thank you for what goes on around the parable. And Lord, I believe there's something for each of us to learn today. So uh, we're listening. We're ready to hear. We're ready to respond We're ready for you to take your book 
and put it to practice in our lives. So we yield, we surrender right now, heart, soul, mind, will. And Lord, like always, if there's anything uh, that we've uh, participated in, listened, uh, watched, said, thought this past week that's preventing us from having relationship with you, and you call it sin, would you point that out right now? Sometimes we're so busy we don't have time to do business and take out the garbage. So show us, Lord, anything that's smelling right now in our lives. And as you point things out that you call sin, we're not going to ignore it. We're not going to minimize it. We're not going to excuse it or blame somebody else. We're going to call it sin too. And we're going to do the U-turn right now. Not just going to lay there any longer. And we run to the cross and Lord, we realize everybody here who knows you, everybody watching online who said yes to your son as Savior and Lord, you've already marked our accounts paid in full. And your son Jesus did that on the cross by his shed blood. So we want to draw on that account marked paid full right now. And whatever you're pointing out, whatever you're, you're calling sin, we call it sin too. We've watched this. Shouldn't have been watching that. Listen to that. Shouldn't have been listening to that. Lord, Lord, we've thought we had attitudes that, that are just wrong. We've said things. That's sin. Wash, cleanse, purify. Lord, the best place to be is in right relationship with you. Nothing between us. No sin. No walls. No barriers that we've erected. Just tear them down right now as we confess. Speak, Lord. We're ready to hear. We're ready to listen. We're ready to respond to your word today. And all the church family here in person, all those watching online, said with one hope and one joy-filled voice. That was bad. Bow your heads again. We're going to give it out another run, okay? All the church family here in person, those watching online, said with one hope. And joy-filled voice, Amen. well done. You may be seated. Matthew, Mark, and John all record a woman named Mary who anointed Jesus a few days before the cross, the empty tomb. Okay? Track with me. This will help you. Okay? So just before Jesus went to the cross, Matthew, Mark, and John... Talk about a similar episode, but that was at the end of Jesus' three-year ministry. This parable in Luke 7 occurs at the beginning of Jesus' ministry on earth. Understand the last three years. This is not Mary Magdalene. Some think that that's who this is. How do you know that? If you have your Bible or you want to go over there, go to Luke chapter 8 and verse 2. Dr. Luke is going to introduce Mary Magdalene the next chapter as she's being freed from seven demons, okay? So uh, this is an unknown woman. Uh, might her name have been another Mary? Possibly. But we really don't know her name because it's not given, okay? Back to the text. Let's dig into what happened to lead to that parable we stood and read. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, Jesus went to the Pharisee's house, and he reclined at the table. 
Why? Because the tables were very low, and you'd lean back on some big pillows, and a woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind Jesus at his feet weeping, she began to wet Jesus' feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair. She kissed them and poured perfume on them. Pharisees at this time were the most religious people in all of Israel. Pharisees were the most moral, the most committed the best rule keepers in the land. You, you couldn't out-religious a Pharisee. Now, in contrast, you've got the Pharisee. He says it three times. Now you have, in contrast to the Pharisee, there's this woman who's from the wrong side of the tracks. Uh, this woman who is known for her sinfulness. Got the Pharisee, religious, good, pious, moral, and this sinful woman. And uh, this was someone who nice, moral, religious people ignored. Uh, the Pharisees would have ridiculed this woman. They would have rejected this woman. Frankly, they wouldn't have even come near her. Nothing to do with this sinful woman. So here we have a Pharisee inviting Jesus to his home. And the natural question is why? Why would Jesus invite, why would this Pharisee invite Jesus into his home? Perhaps he was curious. Perhaps he wanted to make a, a big splash in the community and have everybody come to his house. Or maybe, maybe even likely he wanted to trip Jesus up and find fault. But I want you to note, Simon wanted Jesus to come to his home, but he refused to treat Jesus like a welcomed guest. Got that? Come. I, I want you to come. Make the big splash. Let everybody know I got the big cheese in town. But he never treated Jesus like the honored guest he should have been. The custom of the day, which Pharisees, by the way, they were all about following the rules. The custom of the day would have been, as Jesus entered, he would have been given by Simon... The kiss of peace, that would be a kiss on both cheeks. That didn't happen. When Jesus walked in, Simon should have instructed one of his servants to wash the feet of his guest of honor. Why? Because the streets weren't paved. They were dirty. They were dusty. They were muddy. And they were manure filled. You understand? So he should have said, hey, uh, you come and would you wash the feet of our guest of honor? That didn't happen. Thirdly, at a formal banquet like this in this hot, humid climate, the guest of honor should have been anointed with olive oil. Uh, refreshing, you'll smell good. That was good form. But from the moment Jesus entered Simon's home, Simon the Pharisee, treated Jesus with cool contempt. He, he, just, he just never showed any warmth or care for Jesus. Now, festive banquets often occurred like this in large homes. That's what seems to have been here. And they had an outer courtyard. 
So uh, this is where the banquet seems to have occurred. And uh, on such occasions, listen close, the host would leave the gate open. Okay, so you have all the invited guests, and they would actually be seated at the table, but leave the gate open, and then all the neighbors and everybody in town can kind of gather around and listen to the conversation. Guarantees a big crowd. And the other thing they would often do is uh, they would take all the scraps that were left over from the banquet and feed the poor with the scraps. So that's the picture here. Um, and now you have this well-known woman. Everybody in town knows who this woman is. And all the commentaries, and, and it seems probably likely it's more than just a sinful woman. She likely is even a prostitute, okay? Uh, sex for money. And now she sees the open gate as her opportunity to demonstrate her love for Jesus. Got it? That's the picture. Now, obviously, this woman was not on Simon's guest list. Would you not agree? She, she, was, not, she was not invited, but she boldly darts into the courtyard and hurries down and gets herself right there at the feet of Jesus, who's reclining at the banquet table. Okay, This woman who lived a sinful life brings with her an alabaster jar. Let me pause for just a minute. Uh, Mary brought a similar jar to Jesus at the end of his life here on earth. And uh, that was in Mark chapter 14, verses 4 and 5. Now, an alabaster jar, I think we got a picture of that, don't we? Here we go. Uh, that was carved. This was extremely expensive, okay? This was expensive perfume. It would cost up to a year's wage of an average worker there in Israel, okay? So just do a little math here. Um, she brought with her an alabaster jar of expensive perfume. Usually, this was for her wedding day, and we're talking forty, fifty thousand dollars in price. Chad, can Stacy be looking for an alabaster jar of perfume? Do you think that her next birthday? You think? Think that's going to happen? Forty, fifty thousand dollars jar of perfume. Go back to the text, verse thirty-eight. Um, it tells us that this sinful woman stood behind Jesus weeping. Now, there's lots of different words in the Greek for crying. You know, there's just tears kind of in your eye a bit. There's a few tears. Um, this word is used in Matthew 5, 5, James 5, 17 to describe rain showers. Got it? So this is she was just flowing with her tears are streaming down this woman's face, okay? I want you to get the picture here. Um, she's wiping Jesus' feet. She's an emotional hot mess. Um, likely her nose is running. That usually goes along with great crying. She's wiping the feet of Jesus. Lots of expensive perfume. She's attempting to dry his feet with her what? Wow. Have you ever done that? Don't tell me if you have. Uh, 
There's a muddy mixture of tears and perfume and dirt tangled in her hair. And here's the truth. She doesn't care who's watching. She doesn't care if, if all the crowd knows what she's doing. And if you'll think about it, what do you suppose everybody at the table is doing right now? Um, they're all staring. <laughs> they're all watching at this woman crying and kissing Jesus' feet. All eyes at dinner are on the theater with Jesus and this woman at his feet. And uh, it's pretty obvious. Um, they're thinking, what is the guest of honor Jesus going to do? What is the guest of honor? How's he going to handle this? Is he going to say, go away? Is he going to kick her to the garden curb? Is he going to say, get stones, let's stone her? Is he going to order her out of the courtyard? Um, and meanwhile, while everybody's staring here, the host of the banquet, Simon the Pharisee, he's ticked. Simon the Pharisee, who had invited Jesus to come to his house, be the guest of honor. He's indignant. He's angry. He's upset. He's fuming. Look at verse 39. When the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who's touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a, what is it? She's a sinner. Jesus, allowing this sinful woman to touch him, anoint his feet, frustrates, irritates, angers Simon the Pharisees. He thinks to himself, no self-respecting prophet of God would ever allow a sinful woman like her to come and touch him. Simon is judging the woman as untouchable. And Simon is judging Jesus and receiving this outrageous love of this sinful woman, he's judging Jesus as unacceptable. Now, Jesus knows what Simon's thinking. This is interesting. How does Jesus know? Uh, perhaps he could look and see the expressions and the contempt in his face. Could be he saw the body language in Simon, or perhaps God the Father revealed it. We don't really know. But somehow, Jesus clearly understood what was going on in Simon's mind. So Jesus turns the table on Simon with this parable. Here we go, verse 40. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, Simon said, 200 people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. 500 days wages, 50 days wages of a common worker. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I, I suppose the one who's had the bigger debt forgiven. You've judged correctly, Jesus said. One man owed the lender $50,000. Got it? And the other owed the lender 5000 got, got the picture? One person owes the lender 50000 The other owes the lender 500 But the point is neither one of them could pay their debt. Neither man could pay the debt. They were both 
facing getting thrown into debtor's prison. That was a thing in biblical times. If you borrowed money, usually at outrageous interest rates, and you couldn't pay it back, you were thrown into debtor's prison until you or someone could pay back the debt. There were no bankruptcy laws. There was no second chances in this society. Now look what it says. Both debts are forgiven by the money lender. The 5000 and the 50000 Which one of the debts will be more grateful? Which one who had their debts forgiven will love the money lender more? Verse 43, Simon reluctantly answers, uh, I suppose the bigger debt forgiven. Once again, Simon, you get an A on your religion test. Good job, Simon. So let's just pause for a moment. I want to assign meaning to this story. Okay? The money lender here is God. The, the money lender is Jesus Christ. The man who owed the smaller debt, the man who owed $5,000, that's Simon the Pharisee. And he was crying a lot too. And then the one who owed 50000 the one who owed the massive debt, that was the sinful woman. You got that? that? That's clearly what's going on here. Here's the difference between Simon and the woman. The woman is so grateful for her sins being forgiven by Jesus. And Simon, <laughs> ungrateful for his sin because he didn't see himself as a sinner. That's key. Simon didn't see himself as a sinner in need of forgiveness. And that's the whole point here. The sinful woman showed outrageous love, outrageous devotion, and this Pharisee showed outrageous rudeness and contempt. The contrast here is clear and glaring and obvious. You have a desperate, desperate prostitute with many outward sins, who's so grateful. And you have a respected Pharisee with many pious religious works in his life, and he is so ungrateful. The woman's so grateful, Simon is so ungrateful. Now he turns and speaks to Simon, verse 44. Jesus turned toward the woman and said, Do you see this woman? He's talking to Simon. Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You didn't give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears, wiped them with her hair. Simon, you didn't give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. Simon, you didn't put any oil on my head, but she's poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Here's the key. The more we know and experience and accept the forgiveness of Jesus, the more our love and devotion for Jesus grows. That's true for all of us. Okay? The more we understand and believe and accept the forgiveness of Jesus, the more our love and devotion for our King Jesus Christ grows. Verse 47. Simon, this sinful woman, she realizes she's a great sinner and she knows she's been forgiven much. But sadly, Simon, you don't think you're a lost sinner. Simon, 
You, you don't even believe that you're a lost sinner in need of forgiveness. Outwardly, this woman was a $50,000 sinner. You understand? But inwardly, Simon, you're a $50,000 sinner too. Simon was smug, proud, self-righteous, judgmental, critical, and you need to know there are two kinds of sinners in this world. You can put everybody in the entire world all throughout history in one of these two categories. There are people, sinners, who know they're sinners, and then there are sinners who minimize and excuse their sin. Let me say that again. It's huge. Sinners who know they're sinners and sinners who minimize and excuse their sin. Simon <laughs> saw himself as good and moral and nice and religious, and I don't think I'm that great of a sinner. I don't think there's much in me that needs forgiving. And in case you're here today or you're watching online and you got a little Simon in you, got a little Pharisee in you, uh, listen close, Romans 3, 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. How many? For Isaiah 64, 6. All of us have become like one who's unclean. And all of our righteous acts are like filthy... The very best, most righteous thing we can do in our own strength and power is, is like a filthy rag. 1 John 1, 8. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Simon was a sinner in great need of forgiveness. Simon needed forgiving every bit as much as the sinful woman. But sadly, Simon was spiritually blind and self-righteous and smug and proud and I'm doing just fine. I don't need forgiveness. Verse 48, powerful. <laughs> Maybe my favorite verse. Verse 48 says this. Uh, says to the sinful woman, your sins are forgiven. Those powerful words, just four of them. Your sins are forgiven. Want to say it with me? Your sins are, let's go back around, your are forgiven. Huge. He's addressing the woman. I believe he's addressing us and people down throughout history. Your, Jesus is talking to all people throughout history. Your sins can be forgiven too. Your sins, where we've fallen short, where we've erred, disobeyed, we've swerved from the truth, We've made mistakes, we've been cold, mean, judgmental, critical, ugly in attitude. We've used words that were wrong, harsh, gossipy, filled with lies and half-truths, okay? Your sins are, I like this part, right now, present tense, your sins are forgiven. And you need to know that. You don't have to wait. It's happening right now, present tense. Your sins are, what's the last word? The debt's canceled. Pardoned. Washed. You've been set free from slavery 
to sin and Satan and death. <laughs> now, quick question. Was this woman saved by all of her tears? Was this woman saved by breaking open that $50,000 jar of perfume? Was this woman saved by all of her outrageous acts of love? Is that what saved her? And let me give you the answer. We just need to know that. Slide down to verse 50 because Jesus tells us, he says in verse 50, your faith has saved you. Now go in peace. Your faith, you're, you're trusting in me. You, you've trusted in me to set you free. It's admitting and realizing that she was a great sinner in need of forgiveness for her great sin problem, and she knew where to go. She went to Jesus, <laughs> and Jesus set her free, trusting in him. Um, down through history, down through history, and Simon the Pharisees is exhibit A, who are the people who are the hardest to reach with the gospel? Who are the people who are the most resistant? No, thank you. I'm not interested. I don't want Jesus. I don't need the cross. I don't need the shed blood. I'm fine without the empty tomb. Who are the hardest people to reach with the gospel? Can I tell you? Good, nice, moral, religious people by far are the hardest people to reach with the good news of Jesus. Why is that? Why are they the hardest people to reach? Because I'm pretty good. I'm a nice person. I put money in that red kettle every year. I don't steal. I don't do drugs. I don't beat my wife. I don't kick the cat. I work hard. I obey the laws. I'm a really good person. Like Simon, they're thinking, surely that's good enough. I, I, I think when, when I get there to the gate, they're going to say, come on in. You've been a good person, right? How do we answer that thinking? Think with me. How do we respond to good, nice, moral, religious people who are pretty sure they're okay with God because I've been a really nice, good person? Are you ready? Here's the best answer I got. And I say this a lot because I hope eventually it's going to take root. You ready? Jesus didn't come to earth to make bad people good. That wasn't his mission statement. Jesus didn't come to earth to make bad people good. Otherwise, if that were true, then people like Simon the Pharisee, who were nice and good and moral and law-abiding, they don't need Jesus, they don't need the cross, they don't need the shed blood, they don't need the empty tomb. If Jesus came to earth to make bad people good. Instead, Jesus came to earth, ready? to make dead people alive. And all of us, even the nicest, even the goodest people are spiritually dead. We're born spiritually dead. And we must admit we are great sinners in need of a great savior. You understand? The, everybody throughout history who's been born is born spiritually dead. And we must recognize, you know what? I need this great Savior to be the solution to my great sin problem, okay? 
We cannot, we will not love and serve and be devoted to our great Savior, Jesus Christ, until we admit, <laughs> I'm a great sinner. Until I accept and believe and experience that I am truly a great sinner, and now suddenly the love and the devotion for Jesus grows and increases. 1 Timothy 1, verse 15, says something interesting. The Apostle Paul, I would argue, perhaps um, New Testament-wise, the greatest man ever born. 1 Timothy 1, and verse 15, the Apostle Paul says, I am the chief of all sinners. Paul writes, I'm, I'm the greatest sinner ever born. Here's my closing question. Who's the greatest sinner that you've ever met? Paul says, it's me. Paul says, I'm the worst sinner. I'm the chief of all sinners. You know what I've come to recognize? And I don't say this piously, and I don't say, I mean this honestly. Truthfully, the greatest sinner I know is me. I know me. <laughs> I know what I'm capable. I know the attitudes that swirl in my head. I know the pride and the foolishness and the prone to want. I know what I'm capable of. Okay? Could there be others who are greater? Maybe, but I don't know them. I know me, and I know what I'm capable of. And in my mind, here's the truth. I really am the greatest sinner I know because I know down deep me. And here's the truth. Until we know and accept and experience the forgiveness of Jesus for our great sin, we're not going to be very loving and devoted to Jesus, our great Savior. It's the truth. Some of you here, I, I'm just suggesting to you, you're a little half-hearted. I'm not all in. I want to be all in, but, but I'm just not a little lukewarm in my love and devotion for Jesus. Give me your eyes as we close. Let me suggest something. It could be that you've not come to the point where you realize just how great a sinner you really are. Because once it really sinks in, what a great sinner you and I really are, suddenly now... When you know it, you believe it, you experience it, you accept it, you own it. That love and devotion for Jesus will come right behind it. Because once you know how much you've been forgiven, that's when you can truly love with outrageous love. Just like this sinful woman here in Luke chapter 7. Bow your heads. Shut your eyes as we close right now. And I just invite you right now, would you, would you just pause and invite the Lord to take his word and apply it where he sees it's needed? We're listening, Lord. We just dug in pretty hard into your book. Show us right now, how does that apply to me?
two chief characters in this passage. You have the, the sinful woman and you have Simon the Pharisee. Which of those two do you identify with the most? Is, is it the sinful woman and knowing how great a sinner you really are? Is, is that who you really identify with here? Or could it be you view yourself as a pretty good, moral, nice, religious person? And it very well may be if, if you got a little of that Pharisee in you, the reason you're a little bit lukewarm, half-hearted, you haven't fully embraced Jesus, you're not outrageous in your love for him, because you haven't really experienced how much you've been forgiven by Jesus. Taking his place on the cross for you, for me, shedding his blood for my greatest problem, which is yours, we're sinners, rising from the dead. First step, right where you're seated, would you just confess to Jesus right now? Jesus, I just want you to know I realize I'm a great sinner. I really am. And maybe you haven't acted on all of the things that you could have acted on, but I'm just telling you it starts in your mind, your attitudes, your motives, your cap where, where you could go. <laughs> Jesus, I'm a great sinner. But then the second step, but Jesus, you're an even greater Savior. And I'm grateful right now to how much you've forgiven me. I'm grateful, Lord, and strengthen my devotion. Lord, increase my love for you. And Lord, my prayer for myself and for all of my friends here in the church family Lord, help us to start showing extravagant love towards your son, Jesus, just like this woman. Finally, I, I don't want to finish today without acknowledging that you might be watching online. You might be here in person. And the truth is, the reason that you're not showing extravagant love for Jesus it's because you don't belong to him yet. You haven't said yes. You haven't invited him into your life to be your savior, your king, your Lord, your forever friend. I got great news. You can do that right now. Right now. Jesus, <laughs> if that's you, I, I accept you and what you've done for me on the cross. I accept what you did for me in shedding your blood for my greatest problem. I'm a sinner. I believe that. You took my place on, on, on that cross. You took my place in that tomb. And Jesus, I accept what you did for me rising from the dead. You did for me what I could never do for myself. You paid the price. I believe that. 
I'm a great sinner and you are a great Savior. Right now, I confess that with my mouth. Jesus, I want you to be my great Savior. I open the door of my life and by faith, I receive you as my King, my Savior, my Lord, my forever friend. Come, take charge. That's the gospel facts, believing, receiving, get you started. If you made that decision today and you're here in person, would you see me, Pastor Chad, someone in the prayer corner? We'll get you some resources to get you started on your journey. If you're watching online, same thing. Let us know. Let us know. I made that choice and I've chosen to invite Jesus into my life to be my Savior, my King. We'll get you, we'll send you some resources. I want to get you started on the journey as well. Lord, thank you for Luke chapter 7. It's powerful. It's very convicting, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that your word will continue all week long to speak to us as we meditate it on. Thank you again for allowing us to worship as we study your book together. It's in Jesus' name we pray.